What I think is so important in, in these type of meetings when you're coming up with a marketing plan is being deliberate with what you want to accomplish. From Virtuous, I'm Noah Barnett, and this is the Responsive Fundraising Podcast, a show where we talk with fundraising leaders and thinkers to uncover how today's top nonprofits craft remarkable donor experiences and build lasting relationships at scale. On this episode, I'm joined by Chris Hammond and Jen Link. They both work for CGC, an organization that offers strategic consulting, marketing, and fundraising support to nonprofit organizations. And this conversation was incredible because we got into super practical tactics on how you can develop an effective nonprofit marketing plan. Now, Chris and Jen help organizations all year long build these types of plans, and they pull back the curtain and really unpack the steps and strategies you need to use with your teams to sketch out a nonprofit marketing plan that not only is aligning with your organization's tactics, but designed to be flexible in today's ever-changing environment that we're all living and fundraising through. It's a great, informative conversation, so let's dig in with Chris and Jen. We've just hit a year milestone of being kind of in lockdown and quarantine, uh, being at home, dealing with kind of the whole global pandemic. And so much has happened in the last 12 months. And I know Jen and Chris, you both are on the front lines of this, serving organizations and helping them navigate this. I'm curious, and, and Chris, I'll kick this to you, is what did you learn in 2020 as it relates to fundraising and marketing causes that you're now pulling forward and applying in 2021? Um, I, I, I think maybe one of the, the biggest things that I learned, uh, is that you don't have to do everything in person. Right. And I, and I think this is a, a double-edged sword, but one of the biggest things that happened for us, even starting in the spring of last year, a year to this point, we had about three different events, uh, that were immediately canceled. Uh, and you know, it, it was, it was one of those pieces where, you had so many of our clients that were just uh, terrified. They didn't know when this was going to end. They didn't know uh, how long this was going to be our new normal. And they really weren't, they were a little bit resistant to to recalibrate at first. Um, But as time went on and we got used to this Zoom lifestyle and we got used to uh, the the moment of being virtual with, with a lot of our clients, they started to embrace it. And we felt that one of the biggest things that I saw as an area of opportunity was just the rise and willingness of, of digital fundraising. Um, and for, for us in particular, one of the biggest things that we saw as an area of opportunity for those canceled events were peer-to-peer fundraising campaigns. And that was something that we were seeing opportunities for organizations to put together virtual events or put together virtual campaigns where they no longer had to have the overhead uh, that they were using uh, in the past. And they really had to rely on their marketing. They had to rely on their ambassadors of their, of their organization and really using very clear and concise templates, but also having cohesive communication calendars to drive these campaigns and these events. And we saw in many cases that not only were were they eliminating their expenses, but they were also out fundraising these in-person events that they were having in the past. 
so I, I, I think that was one thing that we really saw. And I think there was that willingness to try to think outside the box and try to meet their, their community and their supporters where they felt uh, most comfortable and making sure that they were able to craft compelling messaging um, to really empathize with them, that they understood, hey, we're all at home. Um, and I think that that was something that really came off authentic. And, and a lot of our clients were successful because of that. Yeah, organizations definitely like maximize the restricted design space they had. But I think, again, explored the edges of a design space that maybe they hadn't previously and how they get creative. And that's something we've talked a lot about on this podcast is just highlighting those examples. Anything come to mind for you, Chris, on like something you saw last year that was just incredibly well executed, um, was creative, but also had legs to carry forward because there was a lot of pivots that had to be made. But I think there was a lot of new things that were created and kind of changed the landscape. Uh, and I'm curious if you, if you have any examples that you would share. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I would just say, you know, for, for some of our clients and, and, and even for, for people that I was watching, uh, I, was, I was looking at some, some universities. One of the things that I really saw, um, you know, all of us actively saw how uh, universities were being impacted by the pandemic when it first started. They were, you know, the kids kids couldn't be at school anymore. Tuition was 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 a whole mess for everyone. And I, what I really got to see was was some really successful giving days that were taking place. And I thought that the marketing was so. And, and I go back to that authentic piece again. I thought that the marketing had enough content to really get you built up. Uh, you know, leading up to to those giving days. I really felt that there was a lot of opportunity to share those personal stories of the people that were being impacted, uh, the international students that were being impacted. It, you, were, you were having a face that was going to these universities that maybe before we wouldn't have really cared as much about a giving day, um, you know, as, as an alumni for some of these institutions or as a supporter of some of these institutions. Uh, we, I was seeing, uh, my, my alma mater in particular raised five times what they had raised the year before just because they took the time to really, uh, you know, delay their, their campaign because they were initially supposed to do it in April and they waited till June and they shifted it a little bit and they wanted to make it something that was just strictly focused on uh, the, the people that are part of the, the university's tradition. And I watched and I, I found myself compelled and they, I mean, they went from raising, you know, like uh, $200,000 a year prior to, you know, 1.2 million. So it was, it was a massive growth. And I think they were so savvy on how they used social media, how they used email, how they used video uh, to make sure that they were that they were showing true, authentic stories, um, but also were giving us a very clear understanding of where the funds were going to. And by looking at that, and when I saw that in 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 the spring, I really wanted to make it a point to use a lot of those principles and a lot of those uh, communication uh, tactics back to these peer-to-peer fundraising campaigns that we were doing for our clients in the summer and in the fall. And, and, and we really saw that, that it worked well by just making sure that there were 
uh, clear, you know, video testimonials, be, having video be more involved because everybody had gotten used to using Zoom. So it became much easier to ask somebody to record themselves um, or having just clear messaging of how this how this pandemic has impacted their lives or how it's impacted their organization. And, and for us, we were able to surpass the fundraising goals for all of our campaigns because we wanted to stay, stay true to what was actually happening. And rather than, you know, acting as if the pandemic wasn't happening, we were leaning in on it and really talking about the impact that it was making in our daily lives. Absolutely. That's incredible. And, you know, the last year, you know, has been filled with change. And as you mentioned, Chris, creativity. But Jen, what hasn't changed as it relates to marketing and fundraising for nonprofits? Like what's still at the core? Because I think it kind of, some of that gets lost in the midst of how much change there was and how much pivoting and creativity. But what hasn't changed? I mean, fundamentally, nothing that Chris just said is different from what it was before, you know, it's, it's all comes down to uh, telling authentic stories and, and making people, you know, want to give to your organization. So it's how do you understand what the message is for the times you're in and deliver that message. And so that's all, you know, classic marketing. Um, It's just that last year, you know, what happened was that what people had planned to do, they had to stop and change and be flexible and, you know, pivot was the, you know, the the word of the year really with all the organizations, but it wasn't pivoting away from traditional marketing um, other than, I mean, marketing has, has for years now been moving to be almost all digital and that's, so that wasn't new for last year. Um, it was, you know, you had to be creative, I think, about if you did have in-person plans, how do you get creative about turning those virtual? Uh, but the marketing itself didn't, doesn't change. It still comes down to storytelling. So... I mean, I think it's just figuring out what's the different story you have to tell from what you had originally planned. So I, I know that we're, we want to talk about marketing plans. And I think, you know, last year was just essentially, okay, we have a plan, but now we have to rewrite the plan. Um, so I would say things are fundamentally the not different. Yeah, I think I think what's interesting, though, is maybe what did change was the appetite for some of these tactics and uh, the the kind of effectiveness because we did move in that direction. And I know we've seen this internally here at Virtuous with our clients is how quickly people have moved through the adoption curve when historically nonprofits have been quite slow to move and adopt, you know, new tactics or new technology or, you know, move digitally. And so I think there was just an accelerated uh, kind of adoption period. But that kind of brings us to where we are, like, going forward now, like Chris and Jen, you both brought up this idea of the plans and the execution is what's going to really drive the results, disregarding whether it's digital or online or offline or in person. So how how are you all helping organizations think about their marketing plans for 2021? And kind of what are what should they be prioritizing within those marketing plans for this year? 
Yeah, I mean, the hardest, so marketing plans are I are so important. And I would say that 99% of the time, organizations don't have one. Um, and it's, a, it's I, I can completely understand why, because to develop one, you have to stop what you're doing and sit down and really think things through and plan things out. And, you know, nonprofit organizations traditionally are under-resourced, understaffed, and they move fast. So it's not, it's not usually something that they have time um, to do to sit down and say, okay, we're going to, we're going to actually plan out what we're doing. What is important and what we say though, is, you know, by sitting down and making a plan, you save yourself time in the long run. So they're really important to, to make that plan, but then you also have to be willing to change the plan. So your marketing plan is this living um, document that is constantly changing. And that's what happened last year is, you know, if you did have a plan, you had to sit there and sit down and you had to, you had to change it. Um, and that can be difficult as well. Things are moving so fast and to stop and say, this is what we need to do differently. Uh, but having a marketing plan, it, it means that your whole organization is on the same page. You're all driving towards the same goal. You, have all agreed on who your audience is, what your message is, and how you're going to deliver that message and what your goals are for the year. And so what I find is that that marketing plan really brings people in your organization together. And once you're all rowing in the same direction, you're much more effective. So looking at 2021, this is another year where it's going to be a little bit of a challenge because we don't know right now. Everything is in flux at the moment, right? We don't know when things are going to be open. We don't know who's going to be comfortable um, doing what. For example, if you have, you know, if your organization relies heavily on corporate sponsors, you know, those, I, what what I've been finding out with the the clients that I work with is that a lot of the corporate sponsors, regardless of what state they're in or what the rest of the country is doing, they're making up their own rules about travel and when they're going to travel. And so if you have an event that relies on your corporate sponsors to be there, um, you have to really consider like, well, yeah, maybe the attendees want to travel, but do the sponsors want to travel? And if the sponsors aren't going to travel, then what's the point of the attendees traveling potentially? So um, that's just, you know, events really have been, I think, hit the most. Uh, but just being open and flexible going into 2021 is what is kind of what you have to do. You have to be ready to change and also ready to, you know, you have to plan, but you have to be ready to say, okay, well, we made that plan, but now three months later, the world is different. So what do we do to pivot and, and make it successful? Yeah. And you, I think you brought up something I think is super crucial is, you still have to make a plan, but it has to be flexible. So I'm even curious, like you kind of, you kind of mentioned the need for a plan, but then it being flexible, but how do you do that? What are like the elements of an effective plan while still giving room for it to be, you know, elastic or changeable? So I would say, you know, the, for the, for most organizations, there are fundamental pieces of your marketing plan that I would think aren't going to change. Now it depends on your mission and and um, 
what is happening in the world that affects your mission, but things like the audience, right? You have your organization knows who its stakeholders are and knows who its audience is, or they should. If they don't, that's a big part of creating the plan is figuring out who is your key audience. And um, we have found, you know, organizations that say, well, well, you know, we, we think everybody should want to give to our cause. And of course, yes, but um, when it comes to marketing, you can't market to everybody. So you really have to figure out who who are those key people that you're marketing to, whether it's to raise money or to get new members. Um, what are your ultimate goals for the year? So is it a fundraising goal? Is it a new member goal? Uh, is it new programs goals? So everyone kind of agreeing on these are our goals for the year. This is our audience this is the message that we have to, that, that will reach our audience. So, um, you know, saying, okay, we have an audience of, uh, students, uh, college students, and they, they're the, they're the ones that we want to be members. And so how do we get them to be members? What are the programs we offer? What are the events we offer? Um, if it comes to donors, um, what programs are we offering that are going to inspire these donors to give? And one thing that, one example last year of a really great pivot, this um, organization that I work with has a lot of student members, and then they also have professional members, and they developed a, a COVID relief fund um, for their students because, as we know, a lot of students ended up having to leave school, go back home. They don't necessarily have computers at home. Um, they weren't prepared to go home. Maybe they didn't even have a home to go to. And so, you know, we had to stop our campaign for, you know, raising money for scholarships and say, okay, well, right now we're going to raise money for uh, this COVID relief fund for our students. And so, it was saying, in the end, though, who our audiences and who our stakeholders are, those aren't changing. What they need might change, um, and how we get them what they need might change. And so you you plan out what you're going to do, and then you say, okay, well, now we've realized there's a need in another area. So maybe you planned out that you were going to raise money for scholarships, and yes, scholarships are still very important, um, but at the moment, what you're what your um, members really need is money to stay alive and survive through the semester. So let's stop the scholarship campaign and let's start this, you know, relief fund campaign. And then we can go back to scholarships when, when it's appropriate. And so it may be, it depends on what your organization is, who they work with, what you're going to have to pivot and change around. But it's that it's the, it's the audience, I think, that stays the same, your stakeholders that stay the same, your goals, your overall, your overall goals, your mission, your vision that stay the same. But what changes potentially is what your campaigns are, what they are, um, how they're created. You know, you may have had some great idea for a marketing campaign with messaging that now that messaging is maybe it's insensitive given what's going on in the world. So you need to say, okay, let's, let's pivot on our messaging and let's change our graphics and let's, let's just rework this campaign in a way that it will accomplish our goals, but not, um, 
not a, not be insensitive. So, um, I mean, I think it's really the tactics and the messaging that end up being what changes fundamentally. And and one thing I wanted to add, uh, you know, because I think Jen did a, did an excellent job of really discussing what are the, the 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 core pieces of a marketing plan, and that's one of the big things that that Jen does for for a lot of our clients is, you know, just as she was saying before, you know, some of our clients aren't even particularly sure who their key audience is. And, you know, if you, if you don't know your key audience, you don't know what is their motivation. You don't know what they're looking for. And it's even more difficult to to develop a clear value proposition for them and for those different um, customers or audience segments. And so I think what's so so helpful is the marketing plan, just as, as Jen said, it buys you that flexibility. And when you're creating that, that, that marketing plan, you are creating several different types of campaigns. And so, you know what, if five of them are no longer working, there might be one of them that you already created that, that, that works perfectly for a rainy day. Um, we're, we're creating 12 month marketing, ca- marketing calendars. So you can have a, an area where you can say, you know what, Everything that we plan from April to June maybe doesn't work anymore and maybe is not relevant, but maybe some of the ideas that we had in store for uh, November and December, maybe these are pieces that can, that can help us. You know, you can take a look and say, hey, we have some partners that we think can help us activate certain things and, and, and highlight specific programs. Maybe we want to lean on our partners in specific uh, opportunities. And then there's also those, those moments of just having a budget that's already created where you can have a clear understanding of, hey, if I'm going to need some graphic design support to make sure that uh, the storytelling that we want to do can really pop, having those pieces already thought through makes it so, yeah, it might not be the same when, 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 when things change, but you're, you're going to already have a basis of, of where you're starting from so that you, you can redirect and, and, and pivot uh, in a very clear fashion. Because what, what ended up happening for so many people in 2020 is they first realized, oh my gosh, we don't have a marketing plan. Um, but then they became people that were in a, in a position where they had to respond um, and they, rather than being proactive, they were reactive. And so it, it becomes very difficult to be coming up with clear and cohesive uh, marketing campaigns when you are really doing this all on the fly. And so, you know, in this moment in time, in, in, in 2021, we are in this somewhat of a hybrid. Maybe the first half of the year is going to be virtual and the second half of the year might be in person. You want to create that flexibility for yourself now so that if, if things do shift again, you're already prepared and you're ready to um, really kick it into gear in a quick uh, fashion. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you, you, you hit on something brilliantly, Jen, is that if you don't know your audience, it doesn't, it's hard to make a plan. And so there are some of these core components that are essential to have. Um, I guess when you're thinking about building a marketing plan, we talked about some of the elements, but what are the, the hurdles or the potholes organizations usually fall into as they design or work their marketing plan? I would, I mean, I think the, there's this, what is, you know, first of all, what is a marketing plan and some people define it differently. And, and I would say in a lot of cases they think, oh, it's, you know, it's just a schedule of social media posts and emails going out. And, um, 
you know, that's, and, and, but it, it really should be so much deeper than that. And what I think we find out with our clients, when we start with talking to them about marketing plans is, you know, it's, we have to say, look, you have to, you kind of have to remove yourself from the day to day, pull up above it and really get the thousand foot view of your goals and your, again, like your audience. And a lot of times the audience, I think what I mentioned before, one of the biggest pitfalls is, you know, trying to market to everyone and you just, you're not going to be effective that way. It's the scattershot, you know, oh, everybody should care about our cause and everybody should want to give to our cause. But when you do that, you end up being so, I mean, for the most part, probably likely ineffectual with it. Um, Whereas if you can say, if you can be really honest with yourself as an organization and say, this, these are the people who really care about us. And if we message them in the right way and we keep them top of mind, and every time we talk about a new program, we think, what would this person, we we usually um, create what, what, our um, don't like don't donor personas. I mean, originally, you know, in business school, we talked about buyer personas, but this would be donor personas. So, you know, if you have your key donor persona in mind, you know, giving Gil or whatever name you give them, and you you are always having them in mind when you're thinking about a new program or a new campaign then you're going to be much more, I think, effective because you know who you're talking to. And also the if the whole organization is on board with these personas, its key audience, then everybody knows who this person is. Because to be honest, I think a lot of organizations, all the staff people think they know who their key donors are. They know who that audience is. But in reality, you may have a very different idea of who your key donor is compared to, you know, the the marketing director or the um, executive director or the social media manager. So you might all have different things in mind. So this practice of sitting down and all talking it through and agreeing on it can make a big difference. Um, I think, I mean, that's really the biggest pitfall. The other one I would say is is trying to be more aggressive than you really have the resources for. If you build out a marketing plan, you know, ultimately when you do get into the nitty gritty of the marketing plan and you're planning out all these campaigns and the social, the calendar of social media and emails and advertising and all of that, you can get really excited and, and build up this huge calendar. But again, you have to be realistic about, can you really pull it off? Because if if it's overwhelming, then it just won't happen. And so that's another thing is I, I try to kind of make sure that people are being realistic about what their resources are and how much they can really accomplish. Because if, if you have a marketing plan, you, you do all this work for a marketing plan and you're done finished with it and everybody looks at it and just thinks, oh my gosh, that is just a lot of work that we have to do. Um, they're just going to, nobody's going to want to do it and um, you're going to go off plan. So I think those are the, there's, there's probably other things, but I think those are the the key ones. 
Uh, and I'll and I'll add to it a, a, a bit because you know maybe one of the one of the big things that I think is helpful because I think I personally fall into this pitfall all the time. I love to brainstorm, right? Like I am a guy that wants to share some ideas, and I want to be like, "Hey, let's try this. Maybe let's try that." And Jen is always, you know, in the room rolling her eyes and just being like, "What is this? What what is he even coming up with?" What I think is so important. In, in these type of meetings, when you're coming up with a marketing plan, is being deliberate with what you want to accomplish, right? As, as, as Jen said, everybody has different ideas of what their marketing plan looks like, but you need to have very clear deliverables and clear outcomes that you are looking to put into this marketing plan. And I think what's, what's, what's incredibly helpful, and it goes back to what, what Jen was saying, is you want to make sure you have the right people in the room that are actually having these conversations. I think so often you'll, you'll, you'll just have an executive team that has one very specific experience uh, discussing this type of marketing plan. And what ends up happening is you are not taking into account the experiences of the, of the marketing team or the programs team or the development team. And so it's important to, to not have too many people in the room because nothing will ever get done and it will be something where it's just a brainstorming party, but making sure that you have a, a diverse set of, 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 of people in the group that can, that can really give different uh, differing perspectives so that they can make sure. And then I think that last piece um, and just kind of staying on what, what Jen was saying is know your team, right? If you don't have a copywriter on your team or a graphic designer on your team and you don't have a budget to bring any of those in um, and outsource, well, then you probably shouldn't be coming up with, you know, 500 emails for the year because that might be difficult. Right. So it's making sure and, and making sure that you're not going to have, you know, 15 graphic design items that are going to be made because you don't have a budget for it and you don't have a graphic designer on staff. So it's important to make sure that when you are creating these marketing plans, that you are staying realistic, but you're also creating goals that you're looking to accomplish from this. Uh, because what what is a very difficult thing um, and something this is something that we sometimes run into, you know, Jen and our team will create this beautiful marketing plan um, for one of our clients. And then it ends up collecting dust because the, the organization doesn't have the team members to execute uh, this item. So we are always focusing on, on getting what our clients tell us and, 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 and the type of team members that they have. And then we want to make sure that we are building out a plan that really reflects uh, their strengths and really meets them where they feel most comfortable. Yeah, and this is all super helpful. And I've actually been on both sides, you know, where we had a plan as a nonprofit and we executed to it and saw the results and we didn't have a plan. And I do agree with Chris and Jen uh, to your points that it really provides that roadmap and, and more so with larger organizations, just the alignment across the team. And I'm sure our listeners are, are kind of in agreement with that as well is because the case for a plan keeping in mind flexibility is obvious. The one thing I, I would ask, because I think, I would assume some of our listeners are, are, are with me on this and, and get tripped up is we talk about the plan. We talk about this thing that we're creating, but can you describe exactly what the 
artifacts of the plan are like not not the elements but like what is the what is a plan actually look like as a deliverable are there different things as a part of a plan is it a single document a spreadsheet a, a powerpoint what does the actual artifact look like so i i mean i can tell you what it looks like if you uh, are getting it from us i mean i i think and you know my my experience in making marketing plans you know, I've always done essentially the same way. So, but I, I do think there's probably other ways to do it out there. And it also depends, you know, on who, like who you have to present it to. So I would say fundamentally, I use, I keep using the word fundamentally. Um, I would say that to me, it is, it is a, it's a document. It's, it's a word document, um, for the most part with then, um, potentially, I, you know, to do a, you want to end up having a schedule. Um, and that schedule is for, for me anyway, is usually in Excel. Um, so that goes along with it. You may want to do, uh, graphics. Um, it depends on how in depth, you know, the, the plan is. Um, and it also, you know, if you're doing your own plan, versus hiring someone like like a CGC to do your plan for you it's it's potentially two different deliverables because of course if you're paying someone outside to do a plan for you you know you want you need it to come to you in a way that's very clear that's spelled out um that you can take i mean our goal is always that our client can walk away with something that they can act on whereas if you're building it internally it might you know, it might be, you might just handle it a little differently because you all are doing it as you go along and you, you, um, you know what you're doing and, and you have the stakeholders in the room and everybody's on board. But, um, I would say you, you want to out, you, it's, it's an outline really. So it's, um, for us, we'll start out with, you know, what is, what's the objective? Like, what are we trying to accomplish here? And, how are we going to accomplish it? Who are our audiences? So this also, when we um, get into ours, we will create, we do use um, PowerPoint to create our um, donor personas because we want to put pictures in it. And, you know, we basically set it up as like a one page slide where you might have, you know, it's, it's laid out as who the person is, what their interests are, where do you find that person? Um, and so we will outline it in our in our document, but then we might have an accompanying, you know, PowerPoint slide of each of those personas. Um, we talk about you want to have your value proposition. So again, that thousand foot view of what exactly does your organization do that makes it valuable, and that's another um, area where you, I, I really urge organizations to be realistic. Like you need to think of, you need to look at your organization as if you have never heard of it before. What is really, because some people it's, you know, it's your org, it's your mission. You've worked there for years. You just, it's your baby. It's hard to look at your baby realistically. So that's um, a big part of it. And then key key messaging. So once you figured out who your audience is, then outlining like who, how, what is it that they need to hear and, and where are you going to reach them with that message? So we will outline all of, all of that. We'll, we'll outline the messaging for each of those key audiences. 
will outline the supporting content. So let's say you're going, if maybe you need to do rebranding and we'll talk about that. Maybe you need to create some videos about your organization so that people understand. Like if we look at an organization and we say, we can't tell what you do. Um, it may be that you need a video, an explainer video or something that says, this is what you do. Um, we'll talk about creative and what kinds of creative you need. Um, depending on how in-depth it is, you might even, you know, design some creative in which case, you know, you're, you're looking at some potentially some, uh, graphics within the document and then your distribution plan, you know, how are you going to get your message out? This, this, this web, you know, you have your website, you have email, social media, all those things, press, um, there's paid media versus earned media and owned media. You've got your themed campaigns. Like we'll go into specifically into campaigns. So you will outline, okay, what's, what are the dates of that? And what's the, what's the description of it in, you know, three sentences and what's the messaging, what are the messaging tools that you're going to, um, use for this and who, which audiences are your audiences. So we'll outline that. So then we go into all of your partners and we'll talk about analytics. What kind of analytics should you be looking at? Um, how do you, how are you going to measure the success afterwards? So just, you know, putting a campaign out there isn't enough. You want to look at it and see how it worked out. And then we'll have a calendar. Um, we might include a sample budget. So Assuming the organization has told us what their budget is up front, we can then, you know, and, and any organization who's doing this, what we find a lot of times is organizations say, oh, we don't have a marketing budget, which, um, you know, as a marketing person is not good news. Um, I think what happens is a lot of times marketing is the first thing that gets cut, but you're not going to be successful without marketing. So if you don't have a marketing budget, you, you're not, let's just say if you're doing a marketing plan, let's just assume you have a marketing budget. Otherwise, why do the plan? Right. So, um, and then, so for this, we're like, for us, a, a marketing plan deliverable could be anywhere from like 25 to 30 page document, uh, with all of these things outlined and then attachments of things like an Excel calendar and graphics and, PowerPoint slides of your donor personas. <clears throat> now, some organizations might, because we encourage people to socialize the plan with their whole staff, it may be that you either share the plan as it is, or you want to create a PowerPoint deck about the plan that summarizes it. Um, so we, you know, so it, it may be slightly different depending on who you're going to try to present it to. But that's that's what it looks like in my head and in execution from us at least. Yeah, that's super helpful, Jen. Thanks for kind of outlining that. Cause I do think that's essential because I think there's agreement, but then it's like, well, how do, I, how do I pull this together? What does this look like? What are those next steps? And I know you and Chris and the team help organizations navigate um, through this as well. Any, any final thoughts as, as you're thinking about 2021 and what's important, what's like the one or two things that you would implore that, listeners keep at the top of their minds for the rest of this year. Jen, I'll kick it to you. And then Chris, you can close us out. I mean, for this year in particular, I would say 
it just seems like everyone is very tired and very, um, you know, where everyone is, is potentially, and, and when I say everyone, I mean staff, but also your audience. Um, there's just, a there's just the fatigue that we keep hearing about all the time. And so you have to think about, you know, are your, do you, are your message, is your messaging acknowledging that is your messaging asking more from people than they have in them right now um is your messaging empathetic to that and also just from a you know staff perspective you know not uh, last year was was tough and maybe you had to cut back on your staff and so don't i mean i you don't want to make the mistake going into this year of trying to go back to normal with that reduced staff on hand or, um, you know, especially for marketing, I think it's just being really careful about your messaging and how often you're messaging people and how empathetic your messaging is. Um, and just being realistic about what you can really accomplish without making your staff just fall apart. What I'll, what I'll add to it, because I, I, I think one of the, one of the biggest things that, I always get really excited about, right, is, is, is analytics at times. Like I am the guy who we send out our, it once was monthly, then it became bi-monthly, and then now it's quarterly and seasonally, whatever, our newsletter. And I was the guy that was waiting for four days and then would ping Jen and say, okay, send me, send me the send me the data, send me the analytics of who opened. And I would just look through who opened and who unsubscribed and who clicked and everything like that. And I would be like, okay, I can reach out to this person because I see that they have actually been engaged. So I think first and foremost, if you're not doing that at the very least, you need to be paying attention to the analytics of of the messaging that you are putting out to your community. But I want to take it one step further because I think, as Jen had said, everybody's tired. Everybody is, we have become desensitized. There was once a point in time in the in the spring where we were loving those human interest stories, right? We would be like, oh my gosh, I want to hear about 15 stories about nurses that save lives. And I want to cheer for them because that is what's so exciting to me right now. Now people have become desensitized. They're just like, oh my gosh, I want this pandemic to end. And one of the biggest things that I think is important is throughout, let's look at our inboxes. We are oftentimes getting so many different types of emails from different organizations that we have supported one time um, or organizations that we are monthly donors to. But we also get these social media posts of friends and family that are asking you to donate to an organization and to a fundraiser that they're involved in. I'm challenging all of you to take some time and look at look back at some of those emails that you actually read all the way through, right? If somebody is sending these emails, and in, especially in this time where we have been inundated with so many different types of, of, of content and messaging being thrown away at us, if you're fine, use yourself as the barometer of what's working, right? Because I think you don't ever want to put out content or messaging that wouldn't, wouldn't even be interesting to you, right? And so I think that you should look back at it and look at these social media posts. Look at the times that you have donated 
uh, to somebody's campaign or to an organization? What did they do? What did, how did that person on your social media actually word it that, that convinced you and that compelled you to give? What was that, what happened on that newsletter or in that email that made you say, you know what, I'm going to sit down and I'm going to take five minutes to read through all of this. I think if you start changing your mindset and start thinking about what is actually been compelling to you as you being the the customer and you being the audience, I think it will make you a little bit more effective and you'll get a better idea of, does it really make sense for me to send five emails in two weeks to this person? Because I know that I wouldn't read it. So why am I expecting somebody else to do that? I think if you can change your mentality on that a little bit, and if you're thinking about a video, that video that you watched, you know, that 90 second video that you were willing to watch all of it, well, then it probably doesn't make sense to be putting out six minute videos to your, to your audience. So trying to figure out what has worked for you, because I think that can become, help you become a much more effective communicator and a more effective marketer as well. But still look at the analytics, look at the data, but also use yourself as, uh, as, as a barometer. Absolutely. Thanks, Jen. Thanks, Chris. Um, any uh, additional resources you would point them or if they're curious about um, how you all help organizations develop marketing plans, where would you guide them, Chris? Go to the CGC website. We are offering complimentary uh, fundraising and marketing consultations for 30 minutes. I kid you not, you could sign up and we are willing to just talk for 45 minutes and just answer whatever questions you have. There's no strings attached. And so please go visit us, cgcgiving.com um, and, and check us out. And we'd be happy to have a, a quick chat and see if we can answer any questions or, or brainstorm ideas with you. I told you, I love brainstorming. So let's brainstorm together. Let's have some fun. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Responsive Fundraising Podcast by Virtuous. Each episode we've designed to really give you the insights into the philosophy, process, and playbook of leading nonprofits so that you can grow giving and build deeper relationships with the people who matter most, your donors. And if you want to dig further into responsive fundraising, we've actually put together an exclusive content pack just for listeners of this podcast. If you go to virtuouscrm.com slash podcast, that's virtuouscrm.com slash podcast, you can download a content kit that includes the responsive fundraising blueprint, which outlines all of the strategies that are involved in implementing responsive fundraising. You'll also get the responsive fundraising playbook, which includes 20 plus plays, which are basically strategies that you can implement today at your nonprofit to become more responsive and ultimately raise retention and increase giving. We'll also throw in a bunch of other resources and content that is going to be helpful for you as you think about how you're applying responsive fundraising at your nonprofit. And it's completely free. You can grab that at virtuouscrm.com slash podcast. Oh, 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 oh,